Welcome to Infinite Fellowship Ministries, where we train believers to know and to pursue God's perfect will so as to yield fruit for His kingdom. Here's a sermon by Pastor Evans Ochien. Um, before I get into the ministry of the Word, I think there's, um, there's something that the Lord actually showed me during the course of worship, and I just wanted to share it with all of you today, and I think it's very much in line with what Bishop has also shared in his admonition. Um, and this is specifically touching on the river of God. The Lord showed me a river. And within this river, there were people who were drinking of the water. There were people who were bathing with the water. And there were people who were submerged into the water. So the people who were drinking of the water and bathing themselves with the water, the Lord was asking, why is it that these people are afraid of submerging themselves into the deep? Because the challenge that we have in the body is that people just want the benefits that come with salvation. They don't want to basically touch base with the reality of what salvation actually means. And this is the reason as to why people are struggling. Because the Lord was saying that there are people who are afraid of entering the deep because they have to take off their clothes. They have to take off their outer garments so that now they can be able to be submerged into the deep. They have to let go of everything that... They've held on to for so long, and the Lord was asking, why is it that my people don't want to be submerged into the deep? And so, even as we begin a time of fasting, infamy, because we are going into a time of fasting, my desire, my prayer is that we'll be found to be at that place where we are submerged into the river of God. We're not just bathing, we're not just partaking of the river, but we are submerged into it. Because God doesn't just want us to be partakers, he wants us to be kingdom representations, as he has called us to be. Praise God. I want to go straight into the ministry of God's word. I will be reading from John chapter 10. John chapter 10 from verse 1 to 10. Um, I will be referring to the New Living Translation. I don't know if you have that. If you don't, that's okay. Um, You can just follow me in your respective versions as I read. So this is verse 1. I tell you the truth. Anyone who sneaks over the wall of a sheepfold, rather than going through the gate, must surely be a thief and a robber. Uh But the one who enters through the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep recognize his voice and come to him. He calls his own sheep, sheep by name and leads them out. Verse 4, after he has gathered his own flock, he walks ahead of them, and they follow him because they know his voice. They won't follow a stranger. They will run from him because they don't know his voice. Verse 6, those who heard Jesus use this illustration didn't understand what he meant, so he explained it to them. I tell you the truth. I am the gate for the sheep. All who came before me were thieves and robbers, but the true sheep did not listen to them. Yes, I am the gate. Those who come in through me will be saved. They will come and go freely and will find good pastures. The thief's purpose is to steal and kill and destroy. My purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. Then I'm going to read Matthew chapter 7, verse 13 to 14. This one I'll read in the New King James Version. Enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are many who go in by it, because narrow is the gate, and difficult is the way which leads to life. And there are few who find it. Then I'm also going to read a scripture that we're all aware of. This is Romans chapter 12, 
Um, I'll, read, I'll read verse 1 and 2. This is in the Amplified Edition. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies, that is dedicating all of yourselves, yeah. set apart uh-huh. as a living sacrifice, yes. holy and well-pleasing to God, which is your rational, logical, intelligent act of worship. And do not be conformed to this world any longer with its superficial values and customs, but be transformed and progressively changed as you mature spiritually by the renewing of your mind, focusing on godly values and ethical attitudes, so that you may prove for yourselves what the will of God is, that which is good and perfect, or rather good and acceptable and perfect in his plan and purpose for you. Praise the name of the Lord. So, beloved of God, this is Dominion, the Genetic Code of Sonship, Part 4. And um, I'm basically continuing on on what I started last week, which is the infrastructure of gates. Yes. That is the infrastructure of spiritual gates. Mm. Let me begin by saying that a gate is a notice board for spiritual entities. That means that whatever spiritual, whatever culture that is there is basically marked or has an insignia of the deity that presides over it. So when you talk about a gate, there's a spiritual entity that is basically located at that particular gate. It's not so much about the physical appearance of the gate. So when you talk about the gate here at Daystar, there is a certain signature or mark that that gate has in the realms of the spirit that depicts the nature that that particular gate carries. So you cannot talk about a gate without referring to the spiritual entity that is presiding over that gate. Okay? So the gate bears the signature of the deity that rules over it. When you die daily, you are accessing a gate. You die by forsaking your preferences and perspective and embracing God's blueprint and agenda. So each and every day, you're supposed to die daily. When we say you're supposed to die daily, we are actually talking about the need or the desire of God for you to access a gate on a day-to-day basis. So that it's not just a one-time affair. That's why, as I said last Sunday, that... A gate is something that you access on a day-to-day basis. It's not a one-time thing. So just because I entered the gate today, it doesn't mean the next day I'll automatically be in the gate. Uh There are certain things that I need to do to ensure that I am found to be within that gate. That gate needs to be accessed daily. In the physical, we look at it as, I only come to Daystar on Sunday, so I access this gate on Sunday. But spiritually, do you know I can be found to be within this locality in Daystar, in the realms of the spirit, based on how I transact with God at a personal prayer, in my personal prayer altar. Are we together? Yes. So, the gate to eternal life is narrow because it isn't pleasant. It's difficult to enter, and you have to squeeze to enter, but it's very easy to leave. It has many exits, but few entry points. So you can enter today, but end up leaving tomorrow. Why? Because the spiritual journey is one of consistency. So just because today you attended church, it doesn't mean tomorrow you have everything you need to be able to be fruitful for that particular day. Because night is actually a time of preparation spiritually. Day is a time of manifestation. So if you do not prepare yourself, that's why we wake up earlier in the morning. We wake up early in the morning, not just to pray, but to prepare ourselves and to get our daily bread for that particular day that God has instituted. If we fail to do that, then we will fail to function. Are we together? So it's not automatic. Just because you had your daily bread for today, it doesn't mean tomorrow, now you are set for the entire week. 
And some of us interact with our prayer altars on a once-in-a-lifetime basis. So because you interacted with your prayer altar today, during the course of this service, you think that is the end until Sunday. I'll not open my Bible, I'll do whatever I want, and then that's it. You won't even take the opportunity to watch the live stream, to see what exactly was said via the sermon and even through praise and worship. And what is it that the Lord is speaking for that particular day or for that particular week or even for that particular month or even for the decade? Because you look at things from a very one-dimensional level. Okay? The gate to destruction, on the other hand, is very broad. People go, go through this gate without even knowing. It's a path with many entries, but fewer exits. Why? Because it has a lot of convenience. So the moment I'm convenient, I'm in a place of convenience, I enter that gate. And that gate of convenience ushers me into a certain culture. And that culture basically takes me out of the presence of God and ushers me into a certain Babylonian system. And that Babylonian system now dictates how I relate with people and how I operate in the marketplace or even in the context of church. Okay? So one of the most powerful gates to our spiritual faculties is fear. It gains access to our perceptions, imaginations, creativity, and even our expectations. Fear can actually dictate some of the things that you expect and some of the things that you desire. It can also affect your devotion. So the moment I fear, that in itself has capacity to dictate the level of devotion that I have towards God. Okay? In Job chapter 3, verse 25, this is in the New King James Version, it says, For the thing I greatly feared has come upon me, and what I dreaded has happened to me. There's a very prominent minister who said that fear has magnetic properties. So, so long as you fear, what you fear is basically what you attract. So if I fear an accident occurring, that is what will happen. I basically attract the situation based on what I fear. Okay? So it's a mystery Job was talking about. If I fear accidents, death, or sickness, that will happen to me. Because you attract the object of fear. Okay? So when you begin to fear, you hinder the capacity and the zeal to move forward. When you begin to think in fear, the devil has legal ground to infiltrate your senses. Come on. So he has every right to infiltrate your senses. When you fear, you're giving the devil a sign-off to basically infiltrate your spiritual senses. Because there are people who are in this community just for a season, and yet they are not perceived how long they're supposed to be in the community. So they're still here, but the assignment already ended. And then there are people who have left in rebellion, and yet God did not want them to leave at the time that they left. And so they have left and planted a seed of rebellion that then basically dictates the level to which they are able to progress. So that's why you have to be very, very careful. Just because you're infamy and because you hear God, it doesn't mean that that success is success from God. Because success from God is a whole different entire ball game that is very, very different from how human beings view success. So just because you're an infant and you operate in the gifts of the Holy Spirit, it doesn't mean you're fruitful. Just because you're an infant and you serve in a department, it doesn't mean you are fruitful. Just because you're a pastor in infamy and you serve within this community, it doesn't also mean you're fruitful. Because fruitfulness according to God is very, very relative. It's, it's something that you can't just view from the lens of our carnal minds. 
because there's a certain level of success when you look at it from God's perspective that human beings are not able to perceive by virtue of the fallen state that we carry. Are we together? The other thing to understand is that God has ordained for some people in our lives to be gates. A very good example, spiritual fathers are gates. So you consider Bishop as a spiritual father, he is a gate. When you consider Moses in the Bible, Moses was a gate. He was basically the passport into certain unique realms in the spirit that the children of Israel would have been able to access. Had they understood who Moses was in the realms of the spirit. Okay? So fathers are gates. That's why in scripture we read last week, Psalms 24 verse 7. Lift up your heads, O ye gates. These gates were actually people. Because tell me, how can a gate speak back? Who is this king of glory? How can, that, how can a gate speak back to you? Because these gates basically refers to people. Also, when you talk about destiny helpers, you are referring to people who are gates. How you handle them determines whether you will access the realms that the gate gives you access to. Consider that person in the workplace, the cleaner or the tea girl, for example. How do you treat that person? Because they are a gate. How you treat them is what determines whether you'll be promoted or whether you'll not be promoted. So for some of us, we are looking for jobs, we are looking for other opportunities, we are seeking promotions, we are seeking increments in terms of salary, but those are not coming because of how we treated someone in the office that appears to be under us. So we need to really ask ourselves, how do we treat people? How do you treat even the security within this institution when you come to church? You come to church, you lift up all your hands, then when you leave, you shout at the, at the gate of the security guard who's opening for you the gate, and you think that by virtue of doing that, you're still a person who is a son. But in essence, you're not a son, because you're falling short of perceiving the gate that this person is as a person, and basically being able to access that gate based on revelation that you have. Are we together? Our Father and the Lord prays for us, but some of his prayers for us haven't been answered because of our perception of him. So you look at Bishop as this person who is very choleric, you are afraid, you are intimidated, is this person who, who makes you shiver when you come to church. Even just saying hi to him, you are shaking, you are shuddering. When you, when you have that perspective about him, there are certain things that you will never be able to access from him. Because impartation is basically access based on our perspective towards the person or the vessel that God is using to impart unto us. So if our perception is wrong, then we will not be able to access that which God has vested in the vessel that is basically using it. Okay? We just read Romans chapter 12 verse 1. And I, I, I like this scripture because I had the opportunity of discussing this with my wife during the course of the week. And one thing that we came to, to realize is that this, this scripture talks about a living sacrifice. That ye present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Do you know that it is possible to give a dead sacrifice? Because this scripture speaks of living. How come it didn't just say, present your bodies as a sacrifice? It actually says, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, which means there's a possibility of you presenting a dead sacrifice. And if you do that, that becomes unreasonable service. Hey. Wow. <laughs> so what is a living sacrifice? A living sacrifice is one where there's a symphonic equilibrium between all your spiritual faculties. Oh, yes. 
So you talk about giving a living sacrifice. It means my entire mind, my heart, my will, my emotions, my everything is basically that sacrifice. So if I'm giving offerings like we've just done, if I'm giving tithes, and my spiritual faculties are not in what I'm giving, then I'm giving a miss. You'd rather even not give then, because you're wasting your time, essentially. You're giving a miss because of the fact that your mind is not there. You're thinking about the fact that I'm giving this money and I don't know what I'm going to eat tomorrow. I'm giving this money and I need to pay school fees the following day. But you're not considering God who is the supplier of all your needs according to his riches and glory. And based on that revelation, you now give by faith, knowing that the Lord will be able to supply. Are we together? You guys are very quiet. I hope you're fluent. I hope I'm not just speaking thus. Otherwise, it will be really sad. <laughs> the other thing to understand is that demonic gates seek to segregate your spiritual faculties from each other and use that spiritual faculty, faculty to infiltrate the other ones that are yet to be accessed. So if, if one of your spiritual faculties, your mind, if the enemy has your mind, you don't have the capacity to be able to have a renewed mind and perceive God's word right. Because the mind is basically the receptacle of divine truth. So if that has been infiltrated, I cannot be able to perceive the word of God aright. And consequently, I'm not able to be transformed, which means I cannot be sanctified. Okay? So if that, that is the case, then what happens is I'm basically a shell of myself. Do you know strong, how, how strongholds manifest? Because I never talked about strongholds a lot of times, or quite a lot in the last part of my sermon. One of, the, one of the ways in which the devil plants strongholds into people is by segregating one of your spiritual faculties. So if he has your heart, that in itself is already avenue for him to access the other spiritual faculties yeah. that you have. Yeah. Yeah. Because the role of what, what, how the enemy functions is he tries to twist whatever that God has basically created. Yeah. So where God wants you to submit all your spiritual faculties to him, the enemy wants to segregate that and cause that disunity. So that's why we're talking about love, growth, and unity. That's one of the aspects. You cannot be united with the body if within yourself you are not united to Christ via your spiritual faculties. Are we together? Yes. So divine gates focus on the unity of your spiritual faculties. If there is unity and harmony between your spiritual faculties, it is easier for you to flow in the fullness of your identity. Let me submit to you that the reason we struggle in life is not because of the economy. It's because a part of our spiritual faculties was segregated by consequence of a gate or a door that we opened. Come on. Either knowingly or unknowingly. Yeah. Hence, there's an interruption of transmission from heaven to our spiritual faculties. Because heaven is basically the portal that's supposed to grant us access to the function that our spiritual faculties were ordained to have. Yeah. That is why each of us have a stream. Why do you think we have a stream? It's because of the fact that out of that stream, you'll be able to derive what the function of your spiritual faculties was ordained to be. Without that, then you're basically operating as a shell of yourself. Or you're dictated by strongholds. So, the struggles or challenges we experience are a prophetic voice. They are meant to reveal how detached we are to the culture and the frequency of the kingdom. The mistake we make is that we assess our circumstances based on facts. And the unfortunate thing about facts is that they only present the current state of things. Yes. So, because of the fact that we don't have a job, that's a fact. 
but it only presents the current state of things. According to God, you do have a job because your job is basically to manifest the works of the kingdom and the kingdom powers. Okay? So, truth on the other hand represents God's perspective. That I may be very small, but according to God, I am big. Because domiciled in my spirit, man is a king. That is the reason. So, despite what the, the people in the marketplace may say, that I might be the lowest paid within my department, according to God, I have accessed certain riches in heaven that no one in my workplace has been able to access. And because of that, that in itself makes me rich as compared to any other person. And also, that in itself makes me a person that is able to access the blueprint of God. Okay? So if we assess our circumstances through the lens of truth, we'll be able to draw the solutions we need to navigate them. So why is it that the Spirit of God is so keen or particular about our spiritual diet? Because you've had this over and over and over again. Why is it that the Spirit of God is so particular about your spiritual diet? It's because you are what you eat. It's also the same thing in the spiritual realm. You are what you eat. So based on what you feed on during the course of the week, that is what you will manifest. To the people that you relate with, and even in ministry, it's the same thing. What I preach is a factor of what I have been feeding on during the course of the week. So if I'm feeding on nothing, I'm feeding on entertainment, that is what will be manifested on this footage. Okay? So spiritual diet is important because what you eat is what increases the quality of existence. Spiritually. Don't think food-wise, because I know food-wise you're thinking, hey, I had fries yesterday, so I'm very unhealthy. No, no, no. That's not the thing. What you eat spiritually, meaning what is it that you expose your spiritual faculties to? doesn't matter whether you're in a matatu almost day in, day out, because I know matatus don't play the most wholesome of music, but are you able to access God within that matatu, even when the music is very loud? Because the issue is not entertainment, guys. The issue is not entertainment. Entertainment in and of itself is actually not bad. The problem is what is it we accept and what is it that we reject? Because that's how gates are opened. So if I accept certain values that entertainment is showing me, then I have already been inducted into a gate. By if I reject a certain culture that entertainment is showing me, I am watching a certain reality show, and based on what they are showing me, that is what I basically accept. And I allow it to shape or dictate how I walk and how I relate with people. I have accessed a gate. And that gate will determine whether I will progress or whether I will retrogress in my life. Okay? So your spirit man survives on life and we are meant to partake of the tree of life. How do you partake of the tree of life? The tree of life is basically in capsules of revelation. You are meant to eat that word until you become the word. You don't just read it, you eat it. Because there's a difference. I can read the word, but there's no transformation. Until I eat that word and become that word, that is when the revelation will begin to manifest and that is the beginning of having dominion. I cannot have dominion without being a person who is a partaker, a person who feeds on the word. That the word is basically like my food. That is why we are going to pray and fasting, by the way. We are going to pray and fasting to say that we are denying ourselves food for a period of time, not just because we are trying to lose weight. We are denying ourselves food because we are building spiritual capacity. And in addition to building spiritual capacity, we are also 
accessing certain realms during the course of this fast that will basically induct us deeper into the river of God. And once we are inducted deeper into the river of God, then there will be a demand in terms of responsibility to be able to radiate and emit the essence of Christ to the people that he has called us to. So it's not just, we are fasting, we are going to brand fasting, oh my gosh, it's such time of the year again, infamy, well, we do 21 days, oh, no more entertainment. But if you don't understand that what we are doing is we are tuning our spiritual faculties to access the blueprint of God. Because until your spiritual faculties are tuned to access the blueprint of God, uh-huh. my friends, there's no way we can talk about the meaning. It's, it's impossible. We have to be conformed into the blueprint that the Lord desires us to be conformed to. Not conformed to the systems and patterns of this world. So when I'm fasting, what am I doing? I'm basically rejecting a certain culture or system that has been at play in my life, and I'm accepting a certain culture that the Lord wants me to accept. And by doing so, I'm accessing a gate. And once I access that gate, the onus is on me to continue that culture even after the fast. So that it doesn't just stop with prayer and fasting. I'm basically continuing in perpetuity, accessing that gate to the point where I become the word that God desires me to become. Remember I talked about epistles. This is where it comes in. When you say you're becoming the word, or you're becoming the word of God, manifesting the word, you're basically becoming an epistle. So that someone doesn't need you to preach to them by virtue of them interacting with you, even by just the mere sight of you, that person is already delivered. That is the level of the gospel we are entering into church, where the kingdom is so engrafted into you that the moment someone interacts with you, be it someone you meet in a matatu or in a bus, or even the cab driver who takes you home, that person, by virtue of the interaction that they have with you, you don't even open the Bible, but by virtue of that, there's something that changes in them. There's a conviction that they receive that they themselves cannot explain that pushes them to desire to know more and to become more like Christ. Mm. Are we together? So you're meant to partake the tree of life. Romans 14 verse 16 to 17. Therefore, do not let your goods be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. You see, the purpose of revelation is not to make you puffed up with knowledge. The receiving of revelation should propel you deeper into realms of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Because that's the foundation of the kingdom of God. So you cannot talk about the kingdom. You cannot say that you are a kingdom representation without righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. You know there's a difference between joy and happiness. People think that happiness is synonymous with joy. So because you are happy today, you think that is joy. It's not joy. <laughs> because joy is an attribute of the kingdom. Happiness is situation or circumstance based. So when I'm happy, it's because something is happening in my life or someone has done something for me and by virtue of that I'm happy. But joy is tested when you're going through the furnace. That in the midst of this furnace, I am still able to exude joy to people I engage with. And even in my worship, I am joyful because I know greater is he who lives in me than he who is in the world. But here. Yes. Yes. So the receiving of revelation should propel you deeper, deeper into realms of God. It is important to understand that when we talk about spiritual diet, you cannot ignore the source of the diet. Because the source is a spirit. That's why spiritual problems come from spiritual mal- malnourishment. 
by virtue of what you feed on. So the spiritual issues, the spiritual challenges that you're experiencing are because of your spiritual diet. Not because of the economy, not because of some issue that you might attribute it to physically, it is actually because of your spiritual diet. So you either have the wrong diet or you have no spiritual diet at all. The reality is if you rely on corporate fellowship for your spiritual diet, you have no spiritual diet. You're just snacking. That's just the reality. There's nothing like spiritual snacking, unfortunately. <laughs> you can only be functional as a human being, as a believer, if you have a spiritual diet. You see, snacking implies that I only engage with God from a place of convenience. That's number one. Number two, it implies that I only engage with God during Sunday service. After Sunday service, my focus is on work and all other things that I need to do during the course of the week. And within that work, I don't find myself accessing God and accessing realms of God. The moment I do that, I have no spiritual diet. And that is the challenge of many people in the body of Christ. They don't have a spiritual diet. It's non-existent. They only have snacks. And so, by virtue of that, they're not functional as believers. Because you have to understand, the body of Christ is supposed to be a gate. It's supposed to be a gate that basically leads us to Christ, who then leads us to the Father. Because there's no way we can access the Father without Christ. So if there's no way I'm part of the body, if there's no way I'm supplying to the body, then there's no way I can basically call myself a son. Okay? And I can also not say that I have the genetic code of sonship in me. Alright? So, you can also be ever eating, but your spiritual diet has no significant impact on your ability to walk in dominion. You're just spiritually bloated. Or obese, depending on how you'd like to, to look at it. So, some of us have been in this community 12 years, 11 years, even for those who have been here for a few months. The question that it, I may pose to you is, what is it that you have received as a word that is causing you to change your culture and your mindset towards things? Has it changed or has it just been excitement? Because maturity is not measured based on what we do. Within this altar, within infamy, within our workplaces, maturity is based on how we become who we are. So if you're not becoming who you are, if you're not becoming who God called you to be, then you cannot say that you're growing in maturity. You cannot talk about growth without actually talking about the place of becoming like Christ. So if I'm not becoming like Christ, I'm not growing. And if I'm not growing, I need to question what is wrong with my spiritual diet. What am I feeding on? And not only what am I feeding on, but how am I feeding? Because there's also a strategy that God would desire you to have on how to, how you're supposed to feed. How you're supposed to break down this sermon might be different from another person. So just because someone will listen to the sermon and basically pause at various points of the sermon, it doesn't mean you need to implement the same thing. Just because someone will play this sermon during the course of the night when they're sleeping, it doesn't mean you're supposed to do the same thing. But you see, we do things because other people have done them and it worked for them. So because it worked for them, we think it is the same blueprint God wants us to adopt. But it is not. The blueprint is subject to the stream that you access. So when I know the stream that I access and I know the, how to access that stream and based on what I have acquired from that stream, I'm able to now understand the lifestyle I'm supposed to live. That is now where I can begin to function. Okay? 
So the inability to access the spirit of God is a factor of poor spiritual diet. Music is a gate to the spiritual world. It's not about just the listening of music, but it's what you accept and what you receive. So I've listened to a song. What am I accepting? That this song is trying to say. You know, sometimes you accept things subconsciously. You listen to something and then days later, you realize there's something you got from this song that has actually become part of you. It's become part of how you express yourself. You see, so the power in entertainment is not in you just like listening or watching what you are, what you are basically watching. It's in you accepting and rejecting what exactly entertainment is propagating. Because most of what entertainment propagates is from the spirit of Babylon. Okay? So there are people in this church who have asked me during the week, I want to hear God. Because they've, they've had people interpreting tongues, they've had a bishop coming here and he, he tells us what the Lord is saying. And there are people who have asked, what exactly is it? How is it, how is it that I'm, I can be able to hear God? The question is, how are you entertaining yourself? What are the things you are entertaining? What are you accepting? What are you rejecting? Because that in itself has the capacity to either clog or unlock your spiritual faculties. So entertainment is not bad in and of itself. But if that's what you're living for, then you'll always experience inconsistencies when it comes to hearing God. Let me also submit to you that spiritual vitality and strength are factors of proper spiritual diet. Because it's not a physical eating. It's about what you expose your spiritual faculties to. Your heart, your mind, your soul. What are you exposing your spiritual faculties to? So, even as you meditate on the word of God, consider what are some of the things that you are accepting and what are some of the things that you are rejecting. What are some of the things you accepted years ago that have defined how exactly you live your life? Because some of us, our lifestyles have been defined by what we've seen on TV and what society has shown us, but not what the Spirit of God would desire us to embrace. You know that the Lord can even, the Spirit of God can even guide you on what exactly you're supposed to wear each and every day. But you know we've limited the Spirit of God, so we think that the Spirit of God is only in the very big things, the magnanimous things, like He's calling you into ministry, He's calling you to the nations. That's what we believe, but there's a certain set of righteous requirements that is there within the very fundamental aspects of how we live our day-to-day -day lives. Are we together? Yes. Yes. Let me also submit to you that the design of rulership was that it wasn't meant to be over people. Rulership was meant to be over the environment. In Genesis 1, verse 26, then God said, Let us make man in our image, according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the, of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every living thing or creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Notice that this scripture does not say, Let them have dominion over other men. It says dominion over things that appear to be environmental. It's very intentional. It's because rulership was designed to be applied on the environment, not on fellow man. The moment you decide to exact rulership on fellow man, they will rebel. Because man basically submits to leadership, not to rulership. The environment, on the other hand, submits to rulership. Because you were made as sons to basically be able to govern through rulership of the environment but not through rulership of men. Okay? So what does rulership mean? 
Leadership means that you have authority over an environment. Leadership, however, is when you have influence over people. That is why the attempt to have authority over fellow man is a show of pride. So the moment I want to basically exert my authority on people, the moment I want to exert myself on the lives of people, then that basically means that I'm just being authoritative. I'm trying to rule over them. I'm not trying to lead them. And the reason this is important is because all of us here, even though you do not have a title, you are a leader. Just because you're not in the board of infamy or you don't serve in a certain capacity within this church, it doesn't mean you're not a leader. You're a leader. As a man, you're a leader within your household. You're a married man. Because of the fact that you're a priest in that home. You're the head of the house. Okay? You're also a leader to yourself. Because you have a whole set of spiritual faculties. And you have to govern how exactly you lead or basically uh, live your life. Because if you don't do that, then what will happen is that the enemy will actually segregate your spiritual faculties, one of your spiritual faculties, and the moment he does that, he has the power to basically destroy your destiny. Yeah. Okay? Yeah. So God's original blueprint for dominion is as follows. Man was to have the authority to rule and the influence to lead. The problem with us as men is that we're trying to flip this blueprint. We're trying to use the authority to lead and the influence to rule. Influence over the environment. We're trying to basically use that to rule over people. When you try to rule over people, you cripple their creativity, their innovation, and you consequently cripple their access to dominion. What gives a spirit life is when humanity allows it to motivate them. Because a spirit is a gatekeeper. It's an avenue that the kingdom of light, as well as the kingdom of darkness, uses to propagate their agenda on earth. It's also important to understand that people don't just become possessed because they were cursed. They become possessed because they have allowed something to motivate them. So because they are so motivated by this spirit, it possesses them. We most of the time think that possession comes because someone cursed you, some witch, some sorcerer, someone. But there's a certain level of possession that comes based on what motivates you. So because I'm motivated by a certain system, that system in itself possesses me. Remember I told you that one of, the, one of the purposes of revelation is not just so that you may be puffed up with head knowledge. One of the essential and fundamental reasons that revelation exists is so that you become that revelation. Come on. Because how will people be transformed if revelation is just head knowledge to you? Uh-huh. And it's the same thing that even demonic entities do. They try and possess you, not by cursing you, but by motivating you towards uh-huh. a certain cause. Yes. And the moment they motivate you towards a certain cause, you will be possessed. That's why when a demon is cast out, there's a possibility of that demon coming back with a legion of more demons. If you're not basically surrounded by, number one, the word of God, and then also within a fellowship where you can be kept accountable. Because accountability is not just the habitual sins we struggle with. Accountability is also in me sharing with my brother that there's a certain level of motivation I'm getting from something that is not kingdom-based. And then that person is able to now stand with me in prayer. And basically, I am able to now align myself to the correct stream that God will then allow me to access so that my spiritual diet is aligned. In tandem with the way that the Lord would desire me to have it. Okay? So, 
A spirit is a gatekeeper. That's why in John chapter 5 verse 19, it says, Then Jesus answered and said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, the son can do nothing of himself, but what he sees the father do. For whatever he does, the son also does in like manner. For the father loves the son and shows him all things that he himself does, and he will show him greater works than these that you may marvel. What was Jesus talking about here? He's talking about the spirit that motivated him to do what he did. The spirit that basically raised him from the dead. He was also talking about his mission and the culture that he aspires to. Because remember, as I said, behind every culture, there's a spirit. And when you struggle with a certain kind of habitual sin, there's a culture that you have basically ascribed to. And that culture is basically revealing or showing you what exactly it is your lifestyle should be. Okay? So this tells you one of the ways of dealing with habitual sin is to check what inspired you to start doing it in the first place. When you have feelings of doubt, when you have feelings of frustration, when you have a feeling of not being happy about something, what is it that you run to? What is the first thing you run to? Because that in itself may present how exactly a certain struggle manifests. So if you're struggling with habitual sin, look at what is it that motivates you to do it. How do you deconstruct your frustration and your anger towards something? Or any negative thought. Because in that is what will basically reveal to you what motivated you to do it in the first place. Because people don't just enter into habitual sin by happenstance. There are certain gates that they are allowed. And because the enemy uses those gates, then that is what basically controls how a person's motivations and how a person's inclinations also behave. So if, if you're trying to be delivered from something, let's even let go of habitual sin. Consider even certain struggles that you have. For example, with your emotions. Maybe you have a challenge with anger. Consider what is the, first, the very first thing from your foundations that caused you to be angry and behave the way you did. Because now you address that, they're now addressing every other subsidiary type of cause of the anger that you're having will now be easier. So you don't need a pastor to pray for you. You just need the Spirit of God to enlighten certain things to you. Yes, yes. You know, the Spirit of God can show you through a dream, through a vision, about certain things that are foundational in you that cause you to behave the way you behave. Yes. And that hindered you from being able to become what God desired you to be. That's right. You're preaching. But the challenge is just the moment we get a dream, we brush it aside. We just think, oh, this is a dream. It's just a dream. And I dream all the time. I'm so familiar with it. That familiarity in itself has hindered you. From accessing a certain level of deliverance that the Lord would desire. Yeah. So that by the time you're coming to church and someone is up here on this pulpit saying that the Spirit of God is here and He desires to heal people, you have already accessed to that healing at home. Yeah. Come on. Come on. You just being in church is a confirmation of what you have already received. Yeah. But the reason it doesn't appear as that, you come to church and because someone is screaming on that side and you are not screaming, you're not manifesting the same way they're manifesting, you think that you're not being healed. But you see, it's not in the physical manifestation, it's in what is it that we're interrogating at a personal level before we come to church. So that by the time the presence of God is manifesting, I'm not worried about missing out because already the Spirit of God has given me an understanding of what this visitation means. Because the people who manifest when the presence of God has come upon us as a community and nothing changes. If I'm screaming today 
and then the following week you call me here on altar call. I come and I'm just screaming that following week. Then the following month you call me again and I'm still screaming and manifesting. The UPH team is stressing themselves trying to cover me with lessos and shukas, but there's no change. Something's wrong. <laughs> Something's really, really wrong. So, there's an intentionality that God has with how he visits us. My portion is not the same as yours. There's a visitation that has been designed for even one particular person in this congregation. But then you, you're there worried about the fact that I have not manifested the way I used to. You know, you have your SI unit for manifestation. You have your certain perspective of how the presence of God is supposed to manifest. But there's a way that the Spirit of God would desire to manifest in you that is not based on someone else's experience. Because it's not about the experience, it's about the encounter. So if you can't draw out the encounter from that experience, then what you're experiencing is nothing. It's meaningless. Speak to me. And that's the danger that we have as the body of Christ, that because of the fact that I delight myself so much in experiences and I forget what is what is the reality of this experience to me at a personal level, yeah. then I end up missing out. Hey. Missing out is not because you didn't scream, you didn't feel the heaving GBDs, you didn't feel this this thing that makes you feel like you're on a bubble in new tongues, you know. You didn't feel that. It's that's that's not what the Lord is looking for. The Lord uh-huh. is looking for your ability to understand what is the reality of this encounter. Yes, yes. Because you know, I've come to learn that. Through someone else's experiences, some of the divine experiences that we have in this community, that the Lord can reveal a certain level of encounter to me. But you see, we limit it to, because I'm not the one who's experienced it, then um, I've missed out. But there's a way the Lord can give me an understanding of what's happening in the life of innocence, for example, through a visitation. And by virtue of that, I enter another realm of manifestation and even of function in God. But you see, we look at it from a very, a very limited perspective. We think it's all about me. Because why do you think God instituted the body? Why does body technology exist? It's because of the fact that the Spirit of God wants you to have the divine perception to understand what is happening in this person's life, even during this visitation. Because there is the key to me accessing the reality of that encounter. But we think it's all about us. Yet the vision of it when he says to train believers to know and pursue God's perfect will so as to yield fruit for his kingdom. It doesn't just stop there at to know and pursue God's perfect will. Otherwise, if that was the case, most of us would have made it. But you see, our success is tied to the success of our brother. So the more my brother succeeds, the more I succeed. Because when is the day that you will see someone during the course of a service experiencing something and then you go and tell that person, this is what the Lord showed me about what you have just experienced. Hey! This is the reality God is calling you into. Hey! But because it's not about me, and it's not about what I am receiving, then now I ignore it. Mm. By virtue of ignoring it, I have allowed myself to fall short of accessing another value in God. Mm. You're speaking, sir. Okay? Yeah. I hope you're together. Oh, yes. So, behind every culture, there's a spirit. There are many people in the church who are operating with a strange spirit. The motivation behind them being in fellowship with people is off. This is now the foundation of a mixed multitude. The moment your desire, your expectations, your, your needs, why you're even in a, in a fellowship, is for a certain ulterior motive, that already presents you as a mixed multitude, or a member of a mixed multitude. 
That's why the shaping is important, because Bishop spoke about a shaping some weeks ago. It's because God's desire is to see the flower girls from the true body of Christ. Yeah. 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 Because until those flower girls are seen, then the body will not be able to fulfill its mandate. Are we together? So why does influence exist? God's purpose for influence is that reality will be illuminated. So in other words, the Spirit of God is meant to be your inspiration to walk in the light. Not that someone is going to look at you and say, hey, this person fell into sin. So by virtue of that, they're not walking in the light. Because sometimes we eliminate ourselves from certain things because of our mistakes. Or because of the fact that we fell into sin. So because we've fallen into sin, you behave as if you're this person who was backslidden. But that sin, you committing that sin, should even push you further and say, you know what, I want to know this God even more. I want to pursue this God even more so that he's able to guard my steps. Because it says in scripture that he makes the parts of the righteous man. Okay? It is also impossible to walk in the light if you've not been exposed to the light. If you do not walk in the light, the territory or environment will choke you with darkness. Also, being exposed to the light changes your garments. The presence of God basically mortifies the flesh. It censors every expression of the flesh. So that there's no more of Evans that is being manifested when he's relating with people. All that people see is Christ. That I have encountered a certain man by relating with you that is not just you, the corporeal physical manifestation of you, but there's a spirit behind what you're doing that is motivating me and convicting me to be someone different. Okay? Yes. Genesis 1, verse 14 to 16, the Amplified Classic Edition. And God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night, and let them be signs and tokens of God's provident care, and to mark seasons, days, and years, and let them be lights in the expanse of the sky to give light upon the earth, and it was so. And God made the two great, great lights, that is the greater light the sun, to rule the day, and the lesser light the moon, to rule the night. He also made the stars. So what God gave wasn't just rulership. There's a certain level of balance that he provided. And this balance was basically instituted through something that is called jurisdiction. So that I know that as a person, there's a certain level of jurisdiction that I have as a minister that Richie does not have. And he also in turn knows that there's a certain level of jurisdiction that the buck stops at a certain point such that when he gets to that level, there's another minister who has that grace to basically flow in that. That is unity. So that we're not in conflict with each other. That I know where my grace is and I know where someone else's grace is. And I allow them to basically function in that grace without fighting. But the challenge is even in terms of our genders, when you look at men and women, uh, there's, there's, a, there's a certain saying going around that what a man can do, a woman can do better. Already that in itself presents a case where there's a possibility that the grace that is there within the woman is being neglected because they want to be like the man. And because they don't want to appear as though uh, there are certain things that they can't do, there are certain things that they do not possess, now they forget the function that they have. And it's the same case for men, that now as a man I insist I can be able to multitask. So I now bulldoze my wife. I say, now my wife cannot be able to, to do these things. I'm the better one. I'm, I'm the one who's able to do it. Me, no more. So now I push her 
and I basically abuse her by virtue of the fact that I believe there are certain things, there's a grace that she has I'm neglecting, and because I'm neglecting that grace, and I think I have it, I now want to force things. It never works. Part of the reason as to why marriages are breaking. That's why jurisdiction exists. For example, will a cat stop meowing and just decide today is a good day to grow? For example, it will never happen because its jurisdiction basically defines how and basically how and where it's supposed to function. Okay? Same case for a fish. If you take a fish out of the water, for example, and then you put it on your couch or on your bed, what do you think will happen? Will that fish survive? No, it won't. Because there's a certain jurisdiction in which it is meant to operate. You see? So it's the same thing even in terms of spiritual function. That there's a certain place you're ordained to basically, or you're designed to basically function. So if I try and function within a certain place I'm not called into, I will die spiritually. That spiritual environment will consume me. Because I don't have the grace to function in it. Are you getting me? In Genesis 1 verse 26, in this scripture, we see that the sun and the moon's jurisdiction was defined. So you don't see the sun deciding that today, because it's past 8 p.m. at night, I'm going to show myself. And then they start having a contention with the moon and they say, no, I'm one who's better, I'm one who needs to show the entire time. That's not there. You see, so if, if objects and if certain things, if animals, if creatures know their jurisdiction, what about us? Why is it that that knowledge of our jurisdiction and the ability to flow in it is absent? Are we together? So creation is indeed waiting for the manifestation of the true sons of God. But the question isn't whether you will manifest as a son, but whether you will be able to understand your jurisdiction of operation. Because every one of us has a jurisdiction. The question is where and at what point and with whom. That is what righteous requirements mean. Are we together? The jurisdiction man had before the fall was different. You see, he had dominion over the birds of the air, the fish of the sea, and over every living thing that creeps over the face of the earth. This was the jurisdiction that God ordained man to have. At this point, man had not eaten of the fruits or the tree of life. So the Holy Ghost was not yet on his inside. And then later on in scripture, man received the Holy Spirit. This is after Christ ascended into heaven. And the scope of his jurisdiction increased to the spiritual. That's why the instruction in Matthew 28 verse 19 says, Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It wasn't meant to, it was not to mean just the nations, it meant the world. Okay? In Ephesians 6 verse 12, because I'm about to conclude, Ephesians 6 verse 12, in the New King James Version. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. At this point, the jurisdiction provided was the earth, the waters, the air, and the spiritual. So the spiritual was added because we now operate in the order of the second Adam, which is Christ, basically. So because of this, even the heavenly realm became a sphere in which we could exercise our dominion. So that it's not so much about dominion being exercised, so much on the physical realm. Dominion is about what is it that you can do in the spiritual realm. Because there are certain things that have to be programmed spiritually before they can manifest physically. And so even as, as we fast, one of the things we need to ask ourselves is, what is the blueprint 
what is the algorithm that the Lord desires us to perceive and be able to program based on what we are perceived. Because at times we pray just based on what we desire. And by virtue of that, our prayers are limited. But God's desire through dominion is that we may come to a place where we perceive. What is it that God's desire is as far as his agenda is concerned? And how do we now program the spiritual realm so that by the time certain things are manifesting on the earth realm, we are also at a place where we are positioned at it. Are we together? I've come to the end of this series. Um, thank you so much for, for listening, for indulging, and for just um, giving me this opportunity. And um, even as we enter the past, I just want us to, as a community, to really just pray for ourselves. I don't believe that, as a community, the things that we are doing, the events that we have, are there by happenstance or coincidence. Everything is, is for a purpose. And the onus is on us, as members of this community, to perceive what is it that the Lord would desire of us. What is it that the Lord would desire of us for time per season. God bless you and have a wonderful rest of the afternoon.